I have your full attention. Screw you. Hello to Yogi, hello to Boo Boo, hello to Scooby Doo, Barney and Bradford. Don't forget your goat leggings. Well, par me all over the place. There's always magic at the movies. What's in the basket? Has anything happened in the world? Uh, aside from everyone in my country going completely insane and just panic buying toilet paper, specifically toilet paper. Uh, and it's gone to the point where uh, people have been stabbed. There are fights going on in the supermarket for toilet paper. I went to two uh, supermarkets today, not for toilet paper. And there was just, there was no toilet paper. There was no kitchen paper. There was no tissues. It was truly bananas. For one, COVID-19 does not make you shit yourself to death. And two, how much toilet paper do you need if you need to be in quarantine for 14 days? It truly boggles the mind. I think these people are envisioning a full-on Mad Max Thunderdome scenario in which they will be able to sell toilet paper for ammunition. Well, the thing is, it's like not even that bad. The cases we had aren't, aren't so widespread. I just don't understand why people have gotten so panicked about it. And it's happened so quickly that it's descended to this. I just... Well, I mean, maybe this is the last episode we'll ever record. Who knows? Maybe. Who can never maybe. be sure? I mean, it's extremely ironic because we were planning to all meet up in LA this year and now there are fucking travel bans to everywhere so it's ironic we've had this in the works for what six years this plan and then of course a global pandemic happens we manifested the pandemic by making plans. But, you know, the alternative is maybe it'll, like, you know, Omega Man the entirety of LA. Because, quite frankly, once it hits here, everybody's dead. There is no infrastructure to deal with this. We're in America, so there's no healthcare system to, you know, to cushion the blow. Uh, no safety net, no social safety net that would allow people to stay home and self-isolate because they have to go to work. Otherwise, they'll, you know, get evicted. And we also have a massive, massive issue with hygiene due to our ever-growing homeless population, thanks to uh, the housing crisis. So really, it's a perfect storm out here. You and Todd and I might be the only people left alive in Los Angeles this September. Well, I mean, and then who will listen to our podcast? Us, alone in the crypt at Forest Lawn where Harold Lloyd is buried. <laughs> And also Michael Jackson, for some reason. It's weird to think that, were they alive at the same time? Yeah, because MJ was born in, what, like, 58 or something, probably? So, yeah, that's fucked up. Harold probably saw him on television, moonwalking. What year was Motown Motown 80? Was Harold alive in 1980? Or was I he don't think so. very dead by then? Yeah, 1971. For some reason, I thought he lived longer than that, but that's sad. I was going to say that's sad that he I missed out. I think it's out. because, like, you'd think, because he sort of lived a bit cleaner than Buster, that he lived lived a lot longer but he he didn't a hero for our covid 19 times then it doesn't matter <laughs> it doesn't matter what you put into it baby that's the harold lloyd story sometimes you when you gotta go you gotta go <laughs> <laughs> well that's the motto of australia at this point 
When you gotta go, you gotta go. I know. I had to get kitty litter for Gull, and we went to two stores, one of them a pet store, and we couldn't get his litter. And we're like, fuck, are people like panic buying kitty litter because they've run out of toilet paper? Uh, But we managed to find him some. That would have been a messy situation. There have been a, a run on all the Costco's out here, like all the Costco's on the West Coast, basically. And um, I was on the Costco website to see what was available for two-day delivery, because normally for a two-day delivery over a certain threshold, you can order like toilet paper and stuff. And I was looking at it, and basically the only things that are left for two-day delivery off the Costco website are like balsamic vinegar and <laughs> dried sea cucumber, like anything resembling a staple, rice, peanut butter, paper towels, you can't get any of that shit Oh, well, here they're rationing rationing toilet paper, they're rationing rice. It's really bananas. It's kind of like everyone's planning to live like blasts from the past. Literally. In 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis was heating up, and the threat of nuclear war drove the Weber family underground. How long will we have to stay down here? 35 years. 35 years. For three decades, they lived a fairly normal life. But their son has become a man. What did you wish for, son? Now the time has come. I wish that I could meet a girl. For Adam to step out and discover the world. It's very funny to me, too, because all of our, um, like, big chain grocery stores are, are out of things like rice. And then meanwhile, it's like, because the unspoken obvious thing here is that all the white people out here are afraid to go into, like, a Persian grocery. So they're just fucked. If their local big box store runs out of rice, they're not going to go to an Indian store because they're afraid because of the racism. It's their loss. Not going to get any good muraku that way. Well, you know, exactly. And then they're going to, they're not going to have their staples and then they're going to starve to death in their weird underground Mormon bunkers. I don't know. I think that's what's going on here. Well, the Mormons aren't going to starve to death. They will live. The Mormons will survive it. They will live because they'll um, channel the coke production their way and they'll just live off coke because they are, yeah, major stakeholders in coke. Anyway, um, I guess we should start this thing. As you've already noticed, we're down one. Yeah. (laughs) It's another Candace and Amelia special here (laughs) on What's in the Basket podcast. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, Todd is currently in uh, a blizzard. Basically, yeah, she's in a blizzard in Alberta. Um, Because her family have really taken the panic to heart and are in hiding in a bunker out there. Yes. Well, need some help there? You know, maybe you folks should come over and hunker in our bunker. Oh, it'll be fun. We're going to go through our old cancel checks and receipts and... Give ourselves an audit. Make sure we don't owe anything extra. Oh, I'm sure I'd be a third wheel. Oh, no, sirree. We'd be happy as hens to have I would make it my business to be a third wheel. Oakley dokley. Welcome, everybody, to What's in the Basket, this bonus episode of What's in the Basket. Uh, I am Amelia, and I am joined by Candace. And yeah, it's another gruesome twosome episode. <laughs> well, we picked the most gruesome twosome imaginable, really. <laughs> a film pairing so popular, I don't think they ever did it ever again. I think this is one well, time. Well, I mean, if you make something like this, where where do you go from here? Honestly. So today we're doing a no research episode on the 1938 film Service Deluxe. And... uh 
What a movie it was. Uh, certainly what a print it was because I could barely see anything that was happening. And I feel like it should exist in a better quality than this. You know, you would think due to the enduring cult of Vincent Price that all these movies would at least be available in like bootleg DVD quality. Yeah, it's his first movie. You'd think that would have a little bit more attention, but uh, apparently not. Which is so weird because it's also a Universal picture. And Universal does like print-on-demand releases of items from the Paramount catalog that they have, but not the actual Universal back entries. I don't know. It's uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess there's not a lot of demand to see Service Deluxe 1938. I, it might just be us. Well, we're going to create a demand. Yes. But yeah, as we said, this is the screen debut of... Vincent Price and our good friend Connie Bennett is in it. Yeah, Connie's back and she's better than ever. Not really, but not really. No, and there's something. Connie to me is such a pre-code icon that she's just muzzled by the code. It's just not. It's just not quite the same. It's kind of like this is the beginning of Price's ascendancy to his weird niche, and then it's in Connie's decline. I know it's 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 definitely odd, and then it's got a weird supporting cast. Yeah, it is kind of a strange mix. It's a of... funky little oddity. So the support. Supporting cast is Charles Ruggles, who is credited as Charlie Ruggles, uh, Helen Broderick, Michelle Auer, and Joy Hodges, Dream Team. Connie is Helen Murphy, and she runs this agency that essentially takes care of everything in someone's life. Uh, it's called Dorothy Madison. Not to be confused uh, with a similar service called Ashley Madison. Yeah, it's it's Ashley Madison's older, more responsible sister. Does it say from the desk of Dorothy Madison? Yeah, from the desk of Dorothy Madison, yeah. Well, who's Dorothy Madison? What is she, a chemist? She's everything. Nurse, secretary, geologist, astronomer. Hmm. Just anything you want her to be. And she runs this with Pearl, Helen Broderick, and essentially people call them up and ask them to run their lives for them, and, and they do. I don't know how this could have existed in 1938. I don't know how even the concept would have existed in 1938. If we think about it like that, who could have afforded such a service at this time? It's, it's an asinine concept, but in its defense, in the 30s, while the rest of us poor fuck were like drinking like hobo sweat soup out of a shoe the rich were just getting richer <laughs> so they were fine i mean and i i assume that because the people she talks to the people she encounters who are her clients um throughout the movie are people who like again their children go to harvard spoiler alert but uh charlie ruggles daughter is going to end up marrying a russian prince you know these are people at a specific echelon of society where i guess the uh the fee associated with this is just oh it's 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 worth it to not have to i mean they they do everything they give outfit advice like one of the women calls up and she asks like what she should wear to a social engagement someone's lost their passport and they need to know where that is that kind of stuff which i mean i'm sure that Elon Musk uses the same kind of service to some degree. Yes, it's basically like if Siri were good at things, is what this and is. also had hands. Yes, if Siri had hands and was good at things and was a beautiful blonde uh new englander is, is what is what this we're looking at here. Essentially, she's working there running everybody's life and she dreams of Finding a man who is able to run his own life doesn't need someone to make decisions for him, which I mean, you know, don't we all? <laughs> 
can't relate, but... Not in a romantic sense, just in a, like, can you just do your fucking work, you fucking idiot. And on the flip side, we have Vincent Price, who is... I guess he's a young inventor, is that... Yeah, he's developed a prototype for a tractor. Yeah, but that just makes him a, a tractor maker, not an inventor. He's invented a new kind of tractor to be used by the proletariat, because at the time, tractors are very expensive. Is he only invent, like inventing tractors? Because that just makes him a tractor guy. It doesn't make him an inventor. If he makes this, like different kinds of inventions, then he's worthy of the title of inventor. I guess he's more like an engineer, a mechanical engineer. He lives with a seemingly his extended family. His uncle is a very rich man that Vincent Price has been named after in hopes that he'll inherit some money from him. But his uncle wants nothing to do with him. Vincent Price decides he's going to go and try and get some money for his invention. And they send him off and it seems like he's very coddled by this group of family. They give him pickles and pin money inside his jacket. And um, there's a line when she's giving the, him the pickles. What is it? Um, the way I screw the lid on my pickles. The way I seal my dill or something. Here's your lunch. Now don't lose it. The food on those boats isn't fit to eat. No, I won't. Thanks, Aunt Libby. Bob, darling, here's $187 I saved extra for you. I'm going to pin it in the inside pocket of your coat. Well, you needn't pin it, Aunt Sarah. Oh, it's so much safer that way. Thanks, Aunt Sarah. Oh, Bob, you packed the muffler I made you. Yes, I packed the muffler. Thanks, And remember, Bob, what I told you about the drinking water, won't you? Yes, I will. Thanks, Aunt Sarah. I I put a jar of my dill pickles in your suitcase. You can't get dills like mine in the city. Well, I hope it doesn't leak, Aunt Addie. Oh, no, not the way I seal my dills. (laughs) Come on, (laughs) Bobby, I'm dear. It was was pretty bad. But it's like, Vincent Price acts like this is all quite a put-upon. But I'm not going to sniff if somebody gives me a a jar of homemade pickles. And one of his aunts gives him $187, which accounting for inflation is like five grand. And he's like, ugh, I guess I'll take it. It's like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Vincent Price comes off as a bit rich in this. Yes. He comes across as a bit of a dick, which you can tell that they try to redeem him by having him design this tractor to be utilized by the common farmer you know what i mean as a way to make him like slightly more palatable to the audience because when you're watching it you're like he's an asshole yeah but like the thing is it doesn't really do that at the end but yeah he uh makes his way to see his uncle and here he encounters Connie, who has been dispatched to try and stop him by his uncle who is a client of connie's who's like I want you to stop my nephew from coming to get money from me. I don't care about him. I would rather he died kind of thing. And so Connie meets him on the boat after she encounters someone who she thinks is the Mark, who Vincent Price gave all of his belongings to that his family lovingly gave him. Including a very cool monogrammed scarf. Yeah, like handmade. They call it a muffler, I believe. So she thinks she's done her job. She sidles up to this weak, nerdy guy who's decked out in all his stuff and is like, don't come to New York. Your uncle wants you dead or, you know, the gangsters are going to kill you. Yeah, she's like, I'm going to break your fucking kneecaps if you come to me. (laughs) You're going to New York, aren't you? Uh Uh-huh. I knew it. I've been sent to warn you. Who sent you? friend. Uh Uh-oh, now, do I look like the kind of a person you can't trust? No. But who are you? Dorothy Madison Service. Private detectives. Gosh. You must go back. He 
You must never arrive in New York if you want to live. Me? Yes, you. You've heard about the gangsters in the big town, haven't you? Uh-huh. And how for a price they put you on the spot? Uh-huh. Well, um, Boobyface Wilson has been hired to get you. Oh. Who hired him? I don't dare mention his name for fear they'll get me, too. But if you're a smart boy, and I know you are, you'll skip off this boat at Hudson and go right back where you came from. Thanks. Yeah, and then she stumbles upon Vincent Price, who knocks her hat into the sea, and it's, he's all uh, a man who's like, I don't need anybody doing anything for me, and apparently that really gets Connie going. So, yeah, I guess they have some romantic interludes on this boat. And I don't know, Vincent plays it really strangely. He's like, man, we're having a really great evening. Wouldn't it be great if we kissed or something now? Anyway, good night, and then just like leaves Connie high and dry. Uh, he got, he's got this whole like um we were watching this and you were you made a comment like as if Connie would be the subservient partner in a relationship with Vincent Price it's just hard to believe but he's clearly like he's the boss he's like all right now go to bed and she's like but well, I want to make beautiful love and he's like uh, fuck off and go to bed I'm tired it's late I think maybe you better be going down to bed oh but I'm not sleepy Maybe you better go anyway. Good night, help. Oh, but I... Run along now. Good night, boss. Good night. And again, she finds that very erotic. Uh, here's a man who's not just offering himself up to be bossed around because he has no will or initiative of his own. But of course, to the modern viewer, it's more like, oh, live a dick, isn't he? Yeah, well, and also because when have men ever had trouble telling other people what to do? She's like, oh, I want a caveman who will knock me over the head and drag me to a cave. And it's like, kind of, that's every man in the 1930s. But That's every single man. Even now. Oh. But he's got this line where he's like, you know, from the first second I saw you I could tell you're not a career girl you just you're so little and helpless and you're not the bossy type and she's like oh this is so charming and you're just like puking you know you just pulse you know just vomiting the whole time there's a scene when she when she's on the boat okay so Connie when she's on the boat and she's looking for Price not knowing that of course it's Vincent Price she just knows the the character's name she's just yelling out Bob Bob while she walks around <laughs> the deck Bob Which in 1938 is like going into like a, a kindergarten classroom in Iowa now and being like McKingle's leaf with eight Y's in it and a silent J. And then of course like some guys Balls just are a dime a dozen in fucking 1938. And like she's just like yelling it on this boat like one, surely that's not how you're going to find him. And, and in the end, it doesn't even help her find him. No, because she sees the, the man with the with the monograph muffler and she's like, oh, well, that, that must be him. And then she just, ugh, what a dumb, it's classic dartboard screenwriting. But people also in, it depended upon monograms for like a sense of, of surety in the world at one point. And we can't relate to that. Well, I'm sure when we finally get a sponsor, we'll have some monogram things uh, made up. (laughs) 
get Turkish towels. <laughs> yeah, or like a robe, just a nice robe. Smoking jacket. Smoking jacket. <laughs> I want a smoking jacket, but I want one with like Tiff's so- initials on it. Like I stole it from her. <laughs> But if it were really tips, it would have to be comically small because she's the size of like a Polish acrobat. So <laughs> it's only when she's not here to defend herself. I'll call her short to her face anytime. So does that mean that she would have one that was made up for you? So yes. like it would be comically long on her? Yeah, like a Harlem Globetrotter. Like it belongs to a Harlem Globetrotter. It's also the one that has like puppet strings attached to it. Yeah, actually, you know, I have a puppet thing later on for this oh, for this movie. So I hope you're excited great, for that. Great. I'm so excited. It's not like every time I hear the word puppets on this show I have some kind of Pavlovian response where I vomit into my own hands. One thing, I, I can't remember if this is on the boat or right after he gets off the boat, but Price, Vincent Price, who of course has that Broadway diction of the 1930s, pronounces the word manufacture as manufacture. That's much later in the movie. That's like when he gets his own apartment, but it is very off-putting. Helen, I know that three-way tractor of mine's good. It's new, it's revolutionary, it's cheap to manufacture, it'll sell like wildfire. He has a very strange way of doing lots of things. He cooks fish in the dishwasher and, like, (laughs) pretend that's okay. It's not okay. It's never been okay. You don't put it in the oven. No, you don't. And I'll tell you what you do put it in. Here it is. The dishwasher. Truly. Absolutely true. Now, I give you my word that an hour before the show started... It's true. We cooked exactly that meal in this dishwasher on the full cycle, mind you. On the full cycle. The water and... uh... Everything. Yeah. No rinse. No rinse. No. And no soap. But the drying and all... But everything. The whole bit. Now, here it all is. There are our dishes. And they're hot. Now, they're hot. And we hope they're done. And I'm sure they are done because we've tried it and it was successful. And we'll take a look first at the Why why do you use a dishwasher? Just to... uh... Because it steams and it heats. And fish is one of the few things. You couldn't do, you know, meat or anything like that in it. But fish cooks in only a very short time. And it really is kind of beautiful. Look. Look at how beautiful that is. Now, look at that. Huh? That has been done. Yes. It's all hot. Is it? Oh, now, yeah, now you leave, leave that in the yes, whole cycle. Yes, you leave cycle. that. Now, I, if, you, if you go over there, I'm going to bring you a little uh, sample. All right. You want to take the wine with you, Johnny? No, I think I've had enough. Well, why don't you drink it here? Huh? Up. Now, let's see. First, we'll bowl a little. Oh, look, isn't that beautiful? Look at that. Oh. Look at that flesh. Come on. Is you bone that well. That's the thing that I don't know how to well, do. Well, that's just something you have to learn how to do. I've been married so many times, I've learned how to bone yeah. anything. <laughs> Then they get off the boat and Connie has this client who's rich who she sends Vincent to to get money for his tractor after he's been rejected by... Well, first you you miss the part where she discovers that Vincent is who he is and then she has to figure out how to maintain a relationship with him while him not finding out that she's who she is because he apparently despises career women. Or whatever. Yeah, which yeah. I'm like, no man is worth this. Absolutely not. Level of effort. Absolutely no man. Not even Vincent Price. So she she pretends, she makes um, Helen Broderick act as, they call her the Madison number one, instead of her. Yeah, she hooks him up with this like rich man who's Charles Ruggles, uh, who's her client, who is quite an eccentric 
man. I assume he's wealthy and he's also an inventor of some description. Don't know what he makes. Uh, but he's obsessed with cooking. And he has a chef, a Russian chef, which to me, I was like, what Russian cuisine is like something you want to eat? Well, Russian chefs were, were a little bit trendy at that point in the 20th century because it was kind of like the idea being that you could scoop up somebody who previously had catered to like the Russian aristocracy kind of a deal. Yeah, but like Russian food is just, I mean, when I think about um, what are you getting? Potatoes. I guess that was kind of what they were fucking into back then. Though. Yeah, I was going to say, like, boiled meats. Like, borscht and, like, shit like that. That's what they were eating and anyway, it, so, I mean. That's what they were eating. I mean, I guess that makes sense. But the, he, the Russian chef is, yeah, Mishao, but he's called Bibenko. And he, they have a very strange relationship, one, which I noted make it made it seems like they were, like, involved with one another. But two, the Russian chef has, like, some kind of, he keeps talking to the spirit of, like, a dead person, uh, which makes me think that this was the initial inspiration for Disney's Ratatouille. Um, <laughs> because, like, he's when he's teaching Charles Ruggles to cook, he's like, oh, I'm the spirit of this will tell me when I've stirred this enough times. And I'm like, cool, he's got a rat in his hat. That's how he's doing this. <laughs> uh, anyway, this rich man, um, Charles Ruggles, he has a daughter called Audrey, who is Joy Hodges and is extremely spoiled and insufferable. And she already dislikes Connie because Connie slash Dorothy Madison fired the previous chef who, like, she was boinking or something. No, the, the butler. The, the butler, the yes. Butler. So Audrey had been boinking the butler. Joy Hodges had been boinking the butler, and then Dorothy Madison shit cans him. And so she's got a grudge against Connie. Not grudge enough to not accept her allowance from Connie. Absolutely. And there's a scene where she comes into Connie and Helen Broderick's office, and she's like, if this place ever lights on fire, you know who did it? Which to me is an actionable threat, legally. <laughs> Okay, look, it was like a teeny thing that happened with a college roommate. It was really no big deal. Says here you burned her. I burned her. Yeah, I burned her. But <laughs> she was so annoying. I mean, it, she deserved it. This is the first of two arson references in this episode. Okay, because I got some arson stuff later on for you. A little bit of a deep Great. dive. What a tease. Okay. What a tease. Yeah, so she hooks him up with this with Charles Ruggles. He is like sick. Let's make your tractor thing happen. And um Audrey sees him waiting there. Uh and is like, man, I also want a piece of that. So essentially this film turns into everyone wants to fuck Vincent Price, which I resented. Um <laughs> It's just because he's tall. That's all, you know. He's very tall. He was very tall compared to everyone else in this movie. Compared to uh, the general population at large in 1938. <laughs> How tall is he exactly? I think he's like 6'3 or something. Our height corner on this podcast are occurring. IMDb says 6'4. Okay, that sounds about right. There's a scene when Vincent is out in the lobby and the rich client who hates his nephew, who's Vincent... Uh, calls and is like, oh, you know, blah, blah, you know, fuck off. My nephew came to New York. You fucking suck at your job. And then Connie's arguing with him on the phone. And then Helen Broderick picks up her phone because she's, again, she's Dorothy Madison number two. And uh, there's, a, there's a man in the lobby. It's the nephew. And uh, he, blah, blah. He wants to speak to Dorothy Madison number one. And so then she goes over and she looks out the little uh, speakeasy peephole 
sort of thing they've yeah, got little it's, sliding it's very weird to have in your office door it's very strange and she looks out into the room out into the waiting room and she's kind of like ah uh, he's tall he's handsome i guess and connie's like oh my god six foot two tall dark and handsome that has to be the single man the one specific person <laughs> It can't be any of the other men. In, there's how many? Seven million people live in New York City, but it can't be any of them. I guess that just means Vincent Price is the first man to be over 6'4". Just like how Todd was the first girl ever named Tiffany. He's the first. He's the first one. <laughs> but yeah, so Audrey tries her level best to marry Vincent Price. She's like obsessed with marrying him and can't can't take the hint that Vincent Price isn't into her. Meanwhile, Connie keeps up the ruse that she's not in fact working for Dorothy Madison and she and Vincent Price keep dating. There is in the print we were watching quite a large chunk of it is missing. Yes, this was clearly a VHS tape transfer and that that tape that got demagnetized or dirty or something yeah and it just leapt and so we went from maybe it was ruggles and price talking or connie talking to somebody or yeah it was something and then it just immediately cuts to them having a date where vincent price starts singing a song about Velveeta and then also feet on a tube of Velveeta shaving cream oh what an awful name Velveeta. sounds like a bad spanish song Velveeta, Velveeta. Oh, how can I meet her? You know, people have been having for less than that. She had such small feet, uh, I never could beat her. I hate the foot shit. I hate the foot shit, too. I'm going to make a bingo card for this podcast, and foot shit's going on it. Because <laughs> try as we might, every single episode involves some sort of foot shit. But anyway, then um, things obviously turn to shit, as they do, with... Vincent Price inventing in his little inventing room and not listening to Audrey as she's speaking to him and she then proposes on his behalf and then accepts and then goes to tell her father and then suddenly they're just getting married because apparently that's how it works. Connie then finds out about this and rushes to stop the situation and the whole truth comes out about her being Dorothy Madison number one which Vincent greatly resents. He doesn't like that she was the one who was arranging everything after he got his commission. And, you know, he was like, oh, I just, I want to run my own life. And it's like, cool. I mean, she darned your socks so she wouldn't, you wouldn't have holes in it. You fucking idiot. I know. And he's like, he's bitching about how the Dorothy Madison service dropped off like toothpaste for him and they knew his exact kind, his preferred brand. And it's like, shut the fuck up, Price. This, these aren't real problems. <laughs> I'm watching this movie in 1938, having lost my farm in the Dust Bowl, and I've eaten nothing but rocks for the past six weeks, <laughs> and then Vincent Price is bitching about somebody n darning his socks for him. No wonder nobody saw this movie, nobody's seen this movie since, and it flopped, because what a whiner. I know, he just, nothing's ever good enough. Nothing's ever good enough from Vincent Price, huh? So, I mean, naturally, Vincent Price is like, you know, you're fired, I don't need you, and just show that I don't need you, I'm gonna marry Audrey anyway and it's like that's a very stupid plan and they go ahead with that then it comes out that Bibenko the chef 
was actually a Russian prince. I mean, what a twist, huh? Big twist. I didn't see that coming. And obviously when Audrey finds out about this, she's like, oh, well, ooh la la. She finds that she likes him a little bit better than tall old Vincent Price and decides to, on their wedding day, marry Babenko instead of Vincent Price. And Vincent Price then flies into a rage and is like, well, I'm going to have a wedding anyway. And then uh, Connie is like, yes, I'm very into this, which is, you wouldn't be. And then it ends on the most horrifying breaking of the third wall I've ever seen. Third wall? Fourth wall? Fucking hell. (laughs) Breaking the third wall. He walks right through the background and he just, he walks right through the matte painting backdrop and just off into the sunset. Oh my God. This is, this is the dizziness thing. This just hit me when we were watching it. I had this really strange head thing happen. I was really dizzy. It's just, it must have eaten some of the particles of my brain cell, but still got more cognitive function than Joe Biden. So. <laughs> oh, Biden, Obama Democrat. Okay. Um, well, I'm a Misha Hour Democrat. Yeah. So. He just so he breaks the fourth wall, and it's horrifying. My spirit, Mavshovsky, tells me this is the end. It's like the great spirit is telling me, and he looks at the camera, and he's like, this is the end. It's just the end. And it's like, oh, you don't have a picture. And then it's over. I mean, truly, truly, truly bewildering. What is with... You know, at this point in time, there are a number of secret royalty working in menial jobs, particularly in service movies in the 1930s. There's, well, in the 40s, I was thinking uh, Princess, oh, Princess O'Rourke with Olivia de Havilland, right? Where she's like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm a maid. And then there's The Gay Deception from 1935, where Francis Letterer is working as a hotel bellboy. It's just a consistent issue at this point in time. And I, I don't know, maybe it's because of all the minor European princes principalities and shit getting all shaken up by the incoming war and by surf rebellions and communism and just, you know, turning up these people and turning them into rootless aristocrats that have to fuck off to the rest of the world and finally get a taste of hard labor or something. I don't know what it is, but it's 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 a strangely common plot element. Well, was this sort of like, when was Anna Anderson like a big thing that was happening? Because maybe they were caught up in the, the romance of that story. Maybe... Okay, 1922 is when Claims uh, first received public attention. And I think she kept it going until she died in the 80s, so... Oh, okay. Well, that's probably what it's linked to. You know, the the idea of the returns of the royals when... Really, though, she was just scamming. People just always be scamming. People just be Um, scamming. So, originally, with this episode... I was intending for this to be a double feature where we were going to address uh, Servant's Entrance 1934 starring Jana Gaynor and Lou Ayers, which has kind of a similar like rich person working in a service position undercover kind of plotline. But that movie is nowhere to be found anywhere on the internet apart from the famous animated sequence that was done by Walt Disney. So instead of actually discussing that movie, I'm going to share with you a couple things I learned about it. Okay? <laughs> we're, not, we're just moving on to a completely different movie well no because it's it's related but i had this i had i can't keep this in my brain okay 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 hit me so servant's entrance 1934 is an adaptation of a swedish film from 1932 okay which is in and of itself Mm -hmm. probably a ripoff of an old uh mary pickford movie right from like 1918 
called How Could Eugene. It's a William Desmond Taylor movie starring uh, Mary Pickford. And that in itself is based on the novel Bush by Sapphire. No, it's based on... <laughs> That's such a funny joke to me. It's been years on... Okay, anyway. Uh... <laughs> Okay, so no, so okay, so that's based on a novel of the same name by the American writer Eleanor Hoyt Brainerd, who is obviously irrelevant today. But one of her other novels inspired a Bessie Love movie from 1920 called Peggyne. I'm assuming it's how you pronounce the name. Peggyne sounds like another one of those kids in that Ohio classroom. It's true. So here is the plot of Peggyne. 1920 from the mind that engendered Servant's Entrance 1934. Recently widowed Danny O'Neill has the belief that his wife will return to him by way of fire and sets fire to buildings around town in hope that she will <laughs> return to him. For her safety, her, her safety, his daughter Peggyne, played by Bessie Love, is sent to live with a neighbor. When her father is to be arrested, Peggyne and her friend Ezra hide her father, who dies shortly thereafter. And that's the plot description. They just, like, secret him away and then just don't feed him again? I have no... <laughs> he starves to death in the crawl space. <laughs> yeah, what? So, one, they're hiding an arsonist yeah. from police. Mentally ill man, obviously, if he thinks his wife's gonna come back after he commits arson. And then his daughter just, like, forgets about him? I guess she hides him, and then he, he crooks. I mean, again, it's a lost film, so, uh, you know. I, I mean, can't... I guess I guess it's punishment for him calling her Peggy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good point. And yeah, so I guess he, you know, he starves in the crawl space or whatever. And weirdly enough, the reviews of the, of the movie were basically like, nothing happens in this movie. And to me... <laughs> This is a plot where everything happens. Everything happens all the time. Wow, okay. Yeah, so I'm really upset that we couldn't find Servant's Entrance 1934 because I was I was so pumped and primed to share. Well, now you know, and now it'll never leave you, ever. No, never. I mean, this is a general call out, obviously, to all of the studios. Please release your old weird shit. I know. So we can talk about it on this show. Well, getting back to the film that we actually Oh, watched, right, right. I forgot we were still talking. Um, the screenplay was written by our good friend Vera Caspary, who <laughs> wrote Laura. Well, she wrote the beginnings of Laura, really. Otto Preminger fucking wrote Laura. She wrote the beginnings of a lot of things that then somebody at the studio was like, hmm, this is horseshit, and changed it. <laughs> but, um, it was directed by Roland V. Lee, mm -hmm. who obviously worked on a lot of films throughout his career, and the Roland V. Lee Ranch also starred in a lot of movies movies um like strangers on a train and night of the hunter and i think now it's mostly like a bougie gated subdivision but we can get in <laughs> just break in maybe we'll commit some arson huh roland v lee is interesting because he's mostly associated with um Pola Negri. you know he directed a number of, of Pola Negri silence and he worked uh, a lot with Olga Baklanova, but he also made a very interesting movie in 1933 called I Am Suzanne, which features the work of not one, but two distinct puppet troops. So that's very exciting. <laughs> that is uh, one of the only film appearances uh, of the Yell Puppeteers, of whom I am very fond, to say the least. Uh, a fanatic, probably, as most people would Jesus. say. I'm obsessed with the Yell Puppeteers. So, uh, uh, very cool. Thank you, Roland V. Lee, 
That's all I have to say, really. You know, I, I wonder what the Roland Veeley Ranch is in Strangers on a Train, because I'm guessing it's the use of the lake? Yeah, I like. I was trying to think that when I read that. I was like, what? what is it? Um, I'm guessing Lee Lake is where, you know, spoiler alert, where, where Robert Walker does a little bit of how's your auntie to, uh, to what's her face. And, uh, you know, she collapses on the ground. Maybe that's the lake in, in Night of the Hunter. And then obviously the shots with the Shelly, where Shelly's in the water are going to be in a tank. But um, I wonder if that's the exterior shots. That would make sense. Or the river. Mm-hmm. And I know they, they shot a lot of westerns there, too. He did a lot of things. Good for him, huh? He did. He did a lot Good of for things. Him. Him. I mean, he started off acting in films, which, I mean, with his face, it's a bold choice. But um, I guess... Uh, I guess it's, um, I mean, you kind of had to have like an interesting face. Back you know, then. he also made a movie that uh, I mentioned on the last episode, which is uh, Zoo in Budapest with Gene Raymond and Loretta Young. So hype, hype for that. Oh, and you know who plays the bellboy in this movie is Junior Coughlin, who was one of the Our Gang kids and uh, later on would play Captain Marvel in the 1941 serial. So that's pretty well, there cool. there you go. Yeah, I mean, if you're into that. I am. Roland Veeley, <laughs> Roland Lee also directed uh, Dangerous Woman, 1929, an Olga Bakhmanova movie that uh, is based on the Marjorie Lawrence story, A Woman Who Needed Killing, which is what you and Tiff call me every time I talk about puppets. My trouble with Misha Hauer <laughs> is that every once in a while, I confuse him with an entirely different actor, Lena Kinski, who's the bartender in Casablanca, and they're not the same person at all, and they know they're no, not the same no, person. they are not but I'm just person. so racist against Russians that my mind is like <laughs> the names just just get confused and I'll just be like oh Misha I'll just be visual no it's not it's not the same so that that's 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 how I feel about Misha Hour that's really all I have to say about him is that sometimes I think he's Leonard Kinsky Leonard 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 the noise is stealing my pills. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I see we've got that chaotic energy of this pair up going again. He made a lot of movies. Wow, good for him. Who, Misha Auer? Yeah. He has an Oscar nom for My Man Godfrey, which is a movie that we won't talk about at any point because it's quite frankly too well known for us to discuss on this podcast. We're only interested <laughs> in discussing movies you could only access via Russian websites. Oh my, okay, okay. So I, I'm on Joy Hodge's page mm -hmm. and another friend of the podcast has immediately turned up. Hodges and Ronald Reagan had a friendship that lasted six decades, which is absolutely too long to be friends with anyone, let alone Ronald Reagan. Dana Andrews couldn't even be friends with Ronald Reagan for like 45 minutes over <laughs> dinner. And I, that's what I identify with, the inability to tolerate Reagan for more than it takes to drink like one single scotch is, is how long, that's how, that's how long Dana could put up with Reagan for. And then at that point, it was like, I gotta get out of here. I can't do this anymore. Like, just... My chest hole says I have to go home. <laughs> My mom called, I have to go home. She got to go to the White House when he was president. So, I mean, if that's not incentive to stay friends with someone, I don't know what is. Uh, so, Candace, if you're planning to make a tilt for the White House, please invite me. I'm going to be Buttigieg's uh, running mate in 2028, you know, the two of us. <laughs> Our platform will be, we're gay and we can't stand each other. 
It'll be like, uh, what's the sitcom from the 80s where Bronson Pinchot plays like an Eastern European ethnic stereotype? Why am I asking you? Like, you know, 1980s American Perfect TV. Strangers? Uh, yes. See? That's what it's be. You asked, you, but you I did knew. know it. So, <laughs> Perfect Strangers. You. <laughs> Is Perfect Strangers in rotation on Australian television? No, it is not. I just... I just knew that. You guys had not have I Love Lucy, but you have Perfect Strangers. No, we don't have Perfect Strangers. We, I don't even know what we have at the moment. Jag, that's on a lot. Um, I feel like Jag is probably tied with like original Law and Order for like the number of heart attacks suffered by the elderly while watching. (laughs) Like I think if you did like what shows people flatline while watching, it's going to be Jag because it's on all the time on all the old people stations at like two o'clock in the afternoon, which statistically is the time when most old people keel over. <laughs> Jack kills people. The hour of death. <laughs> the hour of death. 2.30 after your niece leaves. But before Wheel of Fortune. Bread, but before Wheel of Fortune. Uh, yeah, I don't want to die with Pat Sajak washing me. I don't want Pat Sajak involved at all in my death. He's not getting any of my money, just like Vincent Price wasn't getting any of his uncles. Pat's out of my will. I mean, if Vincent Price was my nephew in this, uh, he would be cut out of my will too. If Vincent Price were my nephew in real life, he'd be cut out of my will. Yeah, I mean, one, I don't care about tractors even if they are for the proletariat, frankly, because I just think that Vincent Price is a whiny shit. In this movie, I think that Connie should have loved herself more and should have just, yeah, stayed in her high-paying, high-powered career that had a dressing room in her office. Did you notice that? They had, like, a full dressing yes. room and, like, I don't understand how vanity. a woman who enjoys Parisian hats is going to be happy married to a man who insists that he has to manufacture his tractors at like at cost in order to benefit the poor downtrodden farmer like that's just mathematically it's not going to work out Connie. well and also that he he said he likes when his socks have holes in the toes yes which is um abhorrent oh we forgot to mention that at the end of the movie she basically quits dorothy madison in order to marry uh vincent price so what so she can like not darn holes darn the holes in his socks like, what's she going to yeah, do all day? she's just going to sit around all day. He doesn't want Apparently. her to buy his toothpaste, evidently. He doesn't want her to do anything, but, like, he also doesn't want to have her to have her own career where she's off doing her own thing. Make it make sense. Maybe, here's my prediction, 15 years into the future, so what, 1953, by that point in these characters' lives, Connie has committed a Peggy's dad and lit the house on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Peggy. <laughs> she she pulled a Peggy and she has just I can't believe those reviews that were like this movie is just you know it's got nothing there's nothing exciting you know there's no greater truth I'm like it's about a man who believes that if he commits arson his dead wife will walk back out of the flames how is that that's like the mummy how returns or something like on that that's that level on. of hype I'm hyped for that plot we should make that movie now starring the rock as Peggy just the rock in a wig just, he looks just like Bessie Love I can't tell the difference but again I don't see race so who's the dad Steve Buscemi Steve Buscemi is Peggy's dad and who's Peggy's dead mom Laura Dern okay and then who's Peggy's friend who helps her 
hide Steve Buscemi in the crawlspace. We need like a young, young blood in there to get the young audiences in. Tom Holland. That's what the kids like, right? I assume so. Not knowing any kids, I assume <laughs> that's what they like. He's one of those superhero guys, isn't he? Yeah, he's Spider-Man. He's, he's the Spider-Man now. I'm sorry. We don't recognize Spider-Man any Spider-Man but Toby. <laughs> So, is Toby Maguire. Toby I'm sorry. Spider-Man, yes. He was the first Spider-Man, just like Vincent Price was the first man over six foot four, <laughs> just like Tiffany is the first female Tiffany. And Junior Coughlin was the first Captain Marvel. There we go. That's all yeah. you need to know. I think that's another one in the basket. That's another one in the basket. Swish, um, swish. Well, I guess we need to give it our rating. How many Russian chefs with mental illness would you give it out of ten? Out of ten? I would give this six and a half mentally ill Russian chefs out of ten. How many spontaneous acts of arson would you give this movie out of ten? Well, considering only there's only the mention of one in this movie, I can only give it one reasonably. Wow, you're saying this movie isn't lit? No. No. It's not lit. It's not lit. Sorry. Sorry. If there was more arson, then, you know, must try harder. If he's making his tractors with cut-rate machine, you know, if he's doing it on the slimmest of margins, they might light on fire. I mean, the the prototype that he did make was chewing up the uh, the mansion floor. Yeah, we forgot to mention that. It, it fucking sucked, so... It was... It didn't look like it worked. Um, so Connie threw away her whole business, her whole career, her whole life for that for a malfunctioning tractor prototype that destroys Charlie Ruggles' rug. It's that thing. Some some women just lose their brains when they see a tall man, which is, you know, it's sad. That's sad. That's sad. That's sad. Um, well, uh, with that, I guess it's time to go out. Uh, you can rate and review us uh, wherever you listen to this podcast. Please do, uh, even if it's negative, because I found the negative responses we're getting to be very funny. So keep that coming. What else do you say? Uh, you can uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BasketPod. Um, we have a Tumblr, too. It's also BasketPod. And you can email us at BasketCast at gmail.com if you so desire. Please don't send us any of your arson targets. I don't want to be charged with a crime. Please do send us photoshops of The Rock as Bessie Love. Please do. Make sure that you have enough toilet paper to last you, I guess, the next six months. Don't ask me where you get it from uh, or just um, invest in a bidet. That's never going to happen for our American listeners. So ignore her. Keep on keeping on. Hopefully next time Tiff will be here unless they get snowed in and she has to commit a misery. So... (laughs) she's just trying to okay she's she's trying to claw her way out of the snowdrift, but she has such short arms that she's just really not making any progress that's what i think is going on right now you're all invited to the funeral all, all right. right well thank you for listening everyone stay well let's just say that yes that's true it's a very neutral statement stay well don't get better just stay well <laughs> if you're not stay already well. amelia doesn't care <laughs> bye bye image tiff sent you yeah the rock 99 what
Oh, what is this? Tiff is in an arcade that has a game based on the movie The Rock from 1997. Which we will one day do an episode. Yes. Anyway, that's very distracting. But I I guess they don't have modern arcade games. Why would you need to? Service Deluxe. It's the name of a movie. I'm typing with one hand, Service Deluxe. 